This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. You might remember a church called Memorial Presbyterian Church. It is the Presbyterian Church in America congregation that in 2018 sponsored the pro-LGBT Christianity conference known as Revoice. And of course, we were all over that controversy at the time. Memorial Presbyterian Church's Pastor Greg Johnson later announced in the pages of Christianity Today that he is a homosexual who is celibate. And after complaints were lodged against this PCA church for hosting Revoice, the Missouri Presbytery came out with a report vindicating the church and Johnson while also shaming people like me and our God's Voice Conference team for our supposed sin of calling out their sin. Well, now there's a new development. Memorial PCA recently came under fire again for allowing that a, a building that it owns called the Chapel to be used to host the Transluminate Arts Festival, a short play festival in celebration of transgender, gender, non-binary, gender queer, and gender fluid artists. Don't know what all those distinctions are, but that's what it says. And the church is naturally defending itself again. But what does this controversy tell us about the unbiblical and spiritual mess in the PCA, at least portions of it, that the revoice controversy has only served to expose? We're going to tackle that today with the Reverend Al Baker, who is both an author and PCA pastor. He's an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. And Al is also one of our wonderful speakers at our upcoming God's Voice Conference on April 17th and 18th. His topic will be What Revoice Hath Wrought, LGBT. LGBTQ plus activism and the future of the PCA. You can go to godsvoice.us to register now. And Al, so wonderful to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Jan. It's always good to be with you. It is always good to talk to you. So I guess my first comment is, here we go again. I mean, <laughs> Memorial PCA, I just it's just one thing after another. What happened here? Can you fill people in on what went on? Well, it looks, it looks to me like they're just doubling down, uh, being very brazen of course, they're trying to uh, disassociate themselves from um, the chapel, but that's kind of hard to do because the building is their building, and it's actually connected to the other buildings. Right. So they get uh, free uh, utilities and volunteers and so forth. Um, you know what they're trying to do? Uh, if, you, if you read, uh, maybe you read the paper that they sent out kind of defending themselves. Yes. What they're trying to do uh, is reach the homosexual community. That's what they say they're trying to do. Right. But their way of reaching the community is not a biblical way of doing so. They are uh, being bound up with unbelievers. And we all know that homosexuality, the roots of homosexuality are actually paganism. And so they're connecting themselves with a pagan organization. And that's not, you, you don't, you don't reach people for Christ by giving away the farm, so to speak. Right. And that's what they're actually doing. And so um, they're, they're just not willing to address the issue as it is. I remember when the revoice uh, thing came up and of course, the first time I ever heard about it was on your program. I was listening to it. They were just, 
out of sorts and not aware of really what was going on and how they ought to be handling things. And they're, they're not willing to understand that you've got to preach the gospel to people. God can change people, but you've got to speak to them. You, and they're just not willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I have that letter that they put out defending themselves. The subject was recent theater production by transgender playwright. And some of the content that went on during this festival was quite shocking. But they say that they don't endorse art at the chapel, which was the name of the facility. And then they say this, Al, which I thought was interesting. They said, to be clear, Memorial Presbyterian Church does not believe in transitioning to a different gender. However, we want to affirm the human dignity of people with gender dysphoria. But then they go on to say Christian freedom is not getting as close to sin as you can without crossing a line. Rather, Christian freedom is getting as close to sinners as you can by crossing a different set of lines. We will be looking into how the decision was made to host this theater production and we'll be seeking to assess whether the right lines or wrong lines were crossed. Al, is it really that hard? I mean, they're not even saying we, we want to affirm the human dignity of people by affirming that they were either male or female and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never come out and say that in this letter. No, they don't. And um, they, they they simply are not willing to, to address the issue. And that is that wh- whatever one's sexual orientation, whatever their set patterns might be, the only hope is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And they, they seem to be they seem to be ashamed of the gospel. I hate to put it that way, but they're they're just not willing to confront sin. Right. And that's where we find ourselves throughout the church these days, and particularly in the PCA, there's just a not a, a willingness to address it. You know, in in uh in our doctrinal standard in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we have, I know you know about it, but we have what's called the larger catechism. And one of the questions is asking, you know, what what really is sin? And it brings out very clearly that it's not just the act of sin, it's the desire for these things. Right. And and so it's very clear that even the desire to even, you know, to consider transgenderism or any of these things is sinful and needs to be dealt with directly from the scriptures. And they're just not willing to do that. Exactly. And you have written about this and you've got a couple of reasons that, that you really say all of this so strongly, which I want to get into. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, given the history of this church, how believable is it that this was just an oopsie? You know what I'm saying? Like they hosted uh-huh. Revoice. That, that Oops, well, we didn't really realize what Revoice was. The next thing we know, then, then they have the pastor coming out is gay but celibate and he, he writes this whole article in Christianity Today proudly affirming you know that he's gay mm-hmm. but he's celibate then you have the Missouri Presbytery failing to deal with this situation in, in a proper way according to the beliefs of the PCA now you have this I mean at what point do you say I don't really believe that this was an accident and I don't really believe that you think much was wrong with it it's hard to believe you guys at this point well, I read, and maybe you saw it as well, they, uh, they have about a 10 or 12-page paper on, from their evangelism committee, so-called evangelism committee, from about 2005, and they're very clearly saying they're going to reach into the community, the homosexual community, but it has nothing to do with preaching the gospel. Hmm. Uh, it's hmm. all about gaining trust, uh, showing dignity, being in relationship with the people, and that is not what we find Jesus doing, and that is not what we find the apostles doing. 
and uh, it it falls, you know, very far short of of what the scriptures are teaching. They do they do seem to be at best um, disingenuous. I think they're I think maybe they're you know beyond that. They are claiming to be um, a, a group that's you know concerned for the for the homosexual, but they just but they just when they when they're called on it, they just kind of. You know, then, oh, yeah, we're sorry. We shouldn't have done that. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of where we're We're looking into it. Yeah, we're, we're going to assess it. Into it. We're, <laughs> we're going to study the situation. Yeah, we're seeking to assess whether the right lines or wrong lines were crossed. <laughs> yeah, we're seeking it. But yeah. they also say, we understand it's strange for a church to own a secular arts venue. We know of only two in the PCA. But for us, it has opened the door for conversations with people who often are hostile to Christianity. But in light of what you just said about their evangelism report and their evangelism effort not involving any actual evangelism are we missing the point here if it if it's perpetually caught up in mere conversations and you never get to the point where you preach the gospel the hard truth to people who need to hear it lest they be you know dead in their sins and transgressions in the final analysis what is the point of being a church i mean i what what is what does this really say about at least this particular church in the pca to you i think it says that there's a a, a lack of confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. I think there's a lack of confidence in the, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and conversion or regeneration. And um, they really are, are they, would, they would deny this, of course, but they really more of a, are of a man-centered approach to ministry. They're really denying the sovereignty of God and what God could do. Hmm. And um, it's, it's weak. And, and you know, if you really think about it, this kind of approach, there's no victory in this whatsoever. You're right. I'll hang on a moment. We're going to pick it up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Reverend Al Baker with me. We'll be back right after this. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a preborn center, it is a divine appointment. It's where she encounters the love of Jesus Christ and has the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her and find out that every baby's life matters. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. 
And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 80% of women in crisis pregnancies choose life after meeting their babies on ultrasound. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible. And 100% of your donations goes towards saving babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. Well, we are so honored to have Reverend Al Baker coming to God's Voice Conference on April 17th and 18th, talking about what revoice hath wrought LGBTQ plus activism and the future of the PCA. Al is in the PCA and has been for a long time. He's an author and evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. And we are talking about the latest controversy involving the church that hosted the revoice conference back in 2018, Memorial Presbyterian Church, and all of the things that have come about since that revoice controversy who first came into the public sphere. But now the new development is they have a building called the chapel that was just used to host a transgender arts festival celebrating transgender, genderqueer, non-gender, whatever, artists. And they've put out this letter and said, oh, we'll look into it. We're seeking to assess. Al, one of the things that you have done very, very well, as you always do, is you've put this in a biblical context and you've talked about a couple of lessons that can be learned from this particular situation. One of which is believers should not be in close contractual covenantal relationships with unbelievers. Can you extrapolate on that and explain to people how that's relevant here? Yes. Well, that passage where I'm getting that idea from is 2 Corinthians 6.14, where the Apostle Paul says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? And really, the context of what Paul is saying there is he's dealing with those uh, in the church who are moving toward a relationship with pagans. These people had formerly been pagans, now they're converted, but they're moving back toward that. And as I mentioned earlier, homosexuality really has its roots in paganism. Yes. So it's a very dangerous thing that, uh, that these people in Corinth were moving toward. And then to go further, um, I would say that to be yoked with unbelievers means nothing less than to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness and to hold out a hand to unbelievers to signify fellowship with them. Right. And we simply can't do that. Uh, this, this whole passage in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, uh, really conveys a message not to form any covenant relationships with unbelievers that violate these these covenant obligations. And so um, we just can't do it. Now, we're we're certainly to reach out to the unbeliever. We're to engage the unbeliever. uh, We're to minister to him. We're to preach the gospel to him. You know, we can listen to him. We're we're certainly to be kind and gracious to him. Sure. But to enter into a, a, a contractual agreement where you're allowing an organization like this to um use your church is folly. I mean, it would be like this. Can you imagine, can you imagine um, uh, a church having uh, uh, a place of prostitution in one of the rooms? Hmm, no. And say, well, we're, not, that's, we're, we're trying to minister to these people. We're trying to reach out to them, but 
uh, you know, we're just going to let them use our building and they don't have to pay any rent or anything. It's it's folly. It is. Or or an abortion clinic. We'll have an abortion clinic. We're trying to reach the people. We want to be compassionate. We want to listen to them. But we're going to have a, an abortion clinic in our building. No, of course not. No, no. And that's the same kind of thing. It's It's wickedness. It's perversion. And again, in the context of a contractual arrangement, it, it's 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 sinful and it's exceedingly dangerous. I mean, I like to put think of it like this: What if you've got? And I'm sure there's some young children in the church. What are the young children, six and eight years old, supposed to think when they, you know, come to come up to the church one night and they see a play like this going on? Right. It's, it's not. It's not good. It's sinful. Right. And so that's that's the first that's the first lesson I would get from it. No, that's tremendous and and such a wonderful point. And you're right. We we reach out to sinners with the gospel, but it, it's connected to the church. What do people think if they see a transgender arts mm-hmm. festival and they you know to connect it to a church? It's ridiculous. And yes. and, and you're right, right about that. Now, now the second thing, which is also an extremely important point that you've made, is how Jesus really engaged with sinners. Boy, we hear all the mm-hmm. time from well-meaning people, perhaps, Jesus would have done whatever I'm doing because Jesus is love and I'm love. So therefore, Jesus would approve. What What can we learn from Scripture about how Jesus engaged sinners with love, but also truth? Well, again, you know, Jesus said, uh, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But what does he, how does he finish it out? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mm, right. He wasn't just hanging out with sinners. right. <laughs> He was calling them to do something. He was calling them to repent. And uh, in uh, Mark's gospel, as he starts it off, it says, um, Jesus says, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Matthew's gospel, he says the same thing as he's beginning his earthly ministry. Repent. So, So you're not just hanging out with people. You're not just listening to people. You're not just gaining a relationship with people. You're calling them to do something. And that repentance, of course, means acknowledging that you're wrong, acknowledging that you're under the wrath of God, acknowledging that Jesus can save you and can forgive you, but you must turn from your sins and run to the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus was doing. That's what the apostles did. As I like to say, when Paul, Paul, Paul did his ministry in four Roman provinces in 10 years, which is an astonishing fact, 10 years, no jet travel, no internet, no radio, none of that, he was able to do it. How? Because of the ministry of the Spirit. Paul did not have time to move into town and get a gold gym membership and hang out with people for a couple of years <laughs> in order to gain a right to speak with them, yes, right? Right. He he spoke immediately. He But why? He had the truth. He had authority. And that authority was from God himself, and he had the power of the Holy Spirit on him. And you go forth with gentleness, but with boldness and authority, preaching Christ crucified. That is the only thing that is going to save people. And merely hanging out with them is never going to get it done. Very well said. Yep, absolutely right. So the question becomes, why doesn't the PCA deal with this church? I mean, we've seen what the Missouri Presbytery has said, but you've had other Presbyterians in the PCA deal with similar issues. Scott Saul's church um, and, and that same-sex conference that was held there several years ago. What would you say the PCA has been 
doing in the last year since, you know, our last God's Voice conference? What has Revoice wrought in the PCA, would you say, at this juncture? Well, there's a couple of presbyteries. That, those are, of course, the regional uh, jurisdiction where those would be many, many churches in like a state or a half a state or whatever. And um, there's been two presbyteries that have asked for what we call original jurisdiction. Usually the case is, uh, is tried by the presbytery, which is what happened with Memorial uh, Presbyterian Church. Missouri Presbytery tried the case, but we're unsatisfied with what they did, so there's two presbyteries at least who said, hey, let's give our standing judicial commission, which is the, basically the Supreme Court of the PCA, the right to hear the case. So that is pending right now. I have a feeling that's not going to happen anytime soon because Missouri Presbytery recently said, well, we are, uh, we're considering the situation, we're studying it, and uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you, basically. And <laughs> what they're saying, what they're trying to say is, let's, okay, standing judicial commission, let us do our thing. And it seems to me they're stalling or they're kicking the can down the road for whatever reason. I don't have a lot of confidence, frankly, that anything's going to be done. When I speak about the PCA with people, I ask the question, do you think that Greg Johnson will in any way be disciplined? Most people pause and they think for about it for a few seconds. Most of them say, no, not really. And then when you realize that he just recently admitted or acknowledged that he signed a book contract with Zondervan yep. to write a book on all this. Yep. He, he's now, you remember, you remember 2008, the banks, there was, there was the bailout situation, people saying, we got to bail them out, they're too big to fail. Yeah. Well, Greg's going to be too big to discipline. Uh, he's going to be the poster boy for the PCA and He's going to write this book, and it's going to be well-known throughout the country. And I just don't believe we have the guts to actually discipline him. So I'm, I'm extremely um, uh, negative on, on the future of the PCA. I hope I'm wrong. I pray every day for revival in the PCA. I honestly do. I would love to see my denomination turn back to a true biblical position. And again, there are many, many of our pastors who are very solid, very good men. Yes. Probably the majority of them. But we still got these problems. And I remember it was Francis Schaefer who once said the time to leave a denomination is when the courts no longer work. And I'm afraid we're just about at that point. Boy, well, you look at what happened at the General Assembly, the last General Assembly of the PCA. And I played those cuts of Greg Johnson mm-hmm. standing in front of the microphone, being all touchy feely, never quoting the Bible mm-hmm. once. And everybody was right. applauding. Oh, Greg Johnson's yeah. so brave. And then Stephen Wayhurst yeah. was it got up and he was reading the scripture and he was giving a biblical case against the whole revoice movement and, and so-called gay Christianity. And they tried to shut him down. And I said, I hope this is not, uh, you know, a pinpoint moment in the PCA where you can see exactly what's going on and that that's the direction of the PCA. But it certainly looks that way. And there's a I don't know what percentage would be progressive. I think it's probably larger than we might think it is. Uh, But it's it's very, very telling and it's very discouraging and very sobering for many of us as we consider uh, where this might take us down at, in the future. Yeah, well, it, it pains me as well, because when I look back at that Missouri Presbytery report, the first one on Memorial Presbyterian Church, they were harder on us than they were on Greg Johnson. Al, if you read through that, they were oh, yeah. harder on us, the critics are the bad ones. 
Oh yeah, they loved it. they loved to cite the ninth commandment that you're sh- you shall not bear false witness. They <laughs> like to bring that one out all the time. And what we're talking about, you're just reading right off the script. I mean, you know, you just read right off of their website and their letters. Uh, you know, that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's right. Somehow or another, we're the bad guys when we do that. I know. Well, truth truth hurts, I guess, sometimes if you don't want to be faithful to the Word of God. But that's our calling, and that's exactly why we think you're so awesome. Al Baker, you're going to be at God's Voice. Let me tell people again to go to godsvoice.us and sign up. And we're looking forward to hearing your address on what Revoice hath wrought in the PCA. Al, thank you again so much for being faithful to Christ. Oh, it's been great, Janet. Thanks so much. God bless you. All right. God bless you, too. We'll see you soon. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. This hour of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe, based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp. I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, now playing. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. Well, we have spent a lot of time over the last couple of days talking about the issue of Sharia supremacists and interfaith dialogue, and I don't intend to do a whole lot on that today specifically. But, you know, here we were just talking about what's going on in the PCA. And I have been very grieved by what has gone on in the PCA over the last couple of years. There are many, many good Christians in that denomination, many fine pastors in that denomination. And yet it just seems like when you see a denomination or a church body hit entropy, it's very difficult to ever see it turned around. And when I'm talking about entropy, I'm talking about when you begin to do the downgrade. Something goes wrong, something goes liberal, you begin to undermine the authority of Scripture, or you begin to compromise on your orthopraxy. In other words, you start doing things that you can't justify biblically, but you still hold to an orthodox biblical confession of faith. And that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. And it's not just confined to the PCA, as we all know. We have a lot of problems, as you know, in the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been talking a whole lot about that in the last couple of days. In particular, J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's interfaith dialogue with this Islamist, Omar Suleiman. And I don't mean to get into a lot on that in particular, other than to make a couple of points, which I think are very, very important. Yesterday, when I talked to Dr. Andrew Boston, who is both Jewish and an Islamic scholar, he had referenced an article that he had written recently over at his website. And it was about a woman named Asma Udin, who he says in the headline of his article, abets hateful Sharia supremacism in America. And he references the fact that this woman actually was part of a panel at the recent National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And, you know, it was one of those things where you're trying to get perspective from a Muslim. And I think in a lot of cases, you have situations where somebody is brought in and is kind of trying to be the reasonable voice. But 
But too many times what happens is when you do a little bit of digging on the so-called moderate Muslim, there turn out to be all sorts of problems with the alleged moderate Muslim. And it, it really turns in a bad direction. Well, what happened recently was Frank Gaffney, who you might know is the president, founder and executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy and president of Save the Persecuted Christians, was at NRB. And what happened, according to Andrew, Andrew Boston, was that Asma Udin was recently afforded this opportunity to speak at the NRB. And due to a clerical error, a building grassroots movement called Save the Persecuted Christians was listed in the program as sponsoring this panel discussion. Well, this was during the time when Attorney General William Barr was about to speak. And Frank Gaffney used the occasion of his own remarks preceding the Attorney General's remarks to clarify that his organization was proud to sponsor William Barr but that they did not actually sponsor this Asma Udin, who is going to be appearing on this panel because of the Sharia supremacism that he claimed she embraces. So I'm going somewhere with this, but I want you to hear just very briefly what Frank Gaffney had to say when he got up to the podium and tried to explain there was an error. We're not actually supporting this woman being on the panel. Listen to cut one. There are now approximately the same number of men, women, and children in the United States of America, some 327 million of them, as there are Christians being persecuted around the world today. Another estimate is the number that have been heavily persecuted. That's just 260 million. 15 million more, it's estimated, than last year. 15 million more than the year before that. We are, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the most extraordinary and horrific crime against humanity in the history of mankind. And this is not happening in some long ago period, some ancient time. This is happening on our watch. And I would just ask each and every one of you, people of enormous influence in this country, people who have a capacity to awaken our countrymen and women, can you honestly say you have done what you can to raise awareness about this catastrophe? Is there really nothing else you might do? Well, I think the answer is you can do more, and we urge you to do more, to become part of this Save Us Christians.org movement. Find out how you can at saveuschristians.org. Now, why do I bring this up? The reason that I'm bringing this up is because Frank Gaffney is making a really important point here. His point is, think about all of the persecuted Christians around the world right now. The same number of Americans who are living at this moment is the same number of Christians who are being persecuted across the globe right now, about 330 million Christians. And as he mentioned, 260 million of them are being severely persecuted. And this is just an unprecedented rate of persecution against Christians around the world. And I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking about this in context of what just happened at this interfaith dialogue last week with J.D. Greer and Omar Suleiman, this Sharia supremacist. And I'm thinking about mainly what is going on in our churches. And here's what I mean by that. I look across the spectrum of the churches 
that we all go to every single day. I look at the denominations, at the ministries, at the famous pastors, famous ministry leaders, uh, the big muckety mucks, you know, whoever it is. We're just kind of always looking at the evangelical subculture and keeping track of what's going on and trying to bring to you the news about the trends and what's happening here and happening there. But here's the thing. There is a lot that is going on right now that I think would never happen if we had better spiritual health in our churches. And the reason I say this is because when you look, for example, at the Southern Baptist Convention and you look at the leftward drift and the downgrade in the Southern Baptist Convention, which I think is undeniable. And if you look at the PCA, for example, as you know, Al Baker just a few moments ago was expressing his pessimism about the future of the PCA. He's very discouraged. He says, I pray every day that the PCA will turn around, that the Lord will revive the PCA, that they will recapture their biblical fidelity. But here's the thing. When you're seeing the entropy enter these denominations that have been conservative for so long, it is really disheartening. And it makes me ask the question, what do you think the role is of the pastors and the leaders of these churches and these denominations to keep them on track? We have seen any number of big pastors fall, for example, in the last decade alone. And, you know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know that one of the big pastoral falls in the last decade was Mark Driscoll. And I was intimately involved in that because I had confronted him on the radio with plagiarism. And a lot happened after that. But I thought it was important to do that, not because I like to call people out necessarily, but because he was due to be on my show at the time. And I had looked at his book and I found all this plagiarism. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to ignore it? So I didn't ignore it. I asked him about it told him in advance we'd be asking some tough questions. And he said that was fine. And, you know, everything kind of fell apart from there. But since that time, there have been so many others who have fallen. And I guess in the Internet age, you might be, you know, it, it might be the case that it's easier for somebody to really be exposed because people can keep up the heat on social media and things like that. But what do you think is going on in our churches that we're seeing these denominations on this very quick downgrade, in my opinion. If you look at the SBC and you look at the embrace of social justice and intersectionality and critical race theory and all of the open borders crowd, the evangelical immigration table, and you've got Russell Moore slamming conservatives, the head of the ERLC of the SBC, and you've got J.D. Greer talking about pronoun hospitality for transgenders and talking about you know, how wonderful Muslims are and Christians are really annoying when he gets on stage with this Islamist and he's not calling the guy out for his anti-Semitism and some of the horrific things that he embraces, but he sure would never talk to Paige Patterson again. Oh no, we can't go there. We can't talk to white nationalists. That would be wrong. We must shun them, but you bring the Islamist up and I need to talk to him. What is really going on? What do you think is really going on, spiritually speaking, in some of these denominations and churches beyond? on that as well. I have some thoughts on it. When we come back, we'll talk about it here on Janet Meffer today.
From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life storms, true hope can be found in Christ. You chose to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. If one person's life is changed by what I go through, it will all be worth it. I Still Believe. Starring KJ Apa, Britt Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 13th. More information is at IStillBelieveMovie.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. If you're a medical professional, here's a way to move from success to even greater significance. Mercy Ships has an urgent need for pediatric registered nurses. You'll be joining dozens of volunteer medical professionals who've been blessed by the opportunity. I think all nurses should do something like this. To serve the unserved is one of the most beautiful experiences. Get more information by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Mercy Ships, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. I'm just reflecting a little bit on what's been going on the last couple of days. We've been talking a lot about the Southern Baptist Convention. And earlier this hour, I was speaking with Reverend Al Baker about the state of the PCA. They have had the Revoice controversy. Now you have Memorial PCA, the church that first hosted Revoice. Uh, now having a pastor who's openly come out as a homosexual, celibate homosexual, and now they're embroiled in this new controversy over hosting an arts festival featuring transgender playwrights and transgender-themed plays, and they're defending themselves. And you think, how does a church get to this point? How did a denomination get to this point where they didn't deal with Memorial PCA back when Revoice was there in 2018. Instead, you had the Presbytery come out and get mad at people like me for pointing it out in the first place. We're the bad guys, not Greg Johnson, the pastor of Memorial PCA, not the people at Memorial who decided that they would have Revoice, a pro-LGBT Christianity conference at a conservative Presbyterian church. No, no, no. It's the critics who are the problem. And in the SBC, you see the same thing. The critics are the problem. We're terrible. We put politics above the gospel. We think that Trump is the strong man who will save us, which is a straw man if everyone was put against us. It's ridiculous. Nobody that I've ever met has said who has voted for Trump that he is going to rescue us. Ultimately, it's as if they think we're so simplistic. So what 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 am I really trying to get at when I'm looking at these situations? Well, I was looking at Psalm 81. And this really struck me, really, really struck me. There's so many great Psalms, obviously, but this one really struck me. And I want to really focus on the first 
well, I would say 14 verses of this psalm. It's, it's not that long, but I want to read it to you. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of, of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Now here it is. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. That's Psalm 81. This is really striking to me because even commentators have said that that verse 8 is the main verse upon which this whole psalm hinges. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. And I thought, that's our problem, isn't it? We're not listening. We're not listening. And we're not submitting to the Lord. I'm not saying every single Christian in America is guilty of this. But if you see a denomination that's on a slippery slope and a a very fast downgrade or even a slow downgrade, you can be sure that somebody is not listening to the Lord in his word. You can be sure that there are people who are not submitting to the Lord in his word. And it is very, very disturbing to read what the Lord told Israel. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels, oh, that my people would listen to me. So simple, but so profound. Why don't we listen to him? Why don't we obey him? Why don't we submit to him? And it really stirred my heart. Oh, Lord, please forgive me for my own sin, for my lack of love for you, for my lack of submission to you. There's so many areas in my life, dear Lord, where I fall short. Please forgive me. Please revive my heart. Please bring me closer to you. And then I thought about the fact that when you see churches and denominations that are in disarray, what we really need are leaders who will do that as well. We need pastors who will do that. We need church denominational leaders who will do that. And how different this world might be if we had a church that was spiritually healthy and revived and that the word of God was what ruled our hearts and our minds. What a difference that would make. Now, I also went over to Malachi chapter two because this was another passage that struck me on the same subject where the Lord rebukes the priests. Now this, as Bible Ref, one of the commentary sites was talking about, 
there's several lessons here in Malachi. And chapter two completes the first of Malachi's three messages directed at the priests. They've been offering diseased and flawed or unclean animals as sacrifices. This is not only against the Old Testament law, it's insulting to God. And Israel's spiritual leaders know what to do, but they find it too much trouble. And as a result, God warns them that he will be honored properly, even by the supposedly unclean Gentiles. Now that's from Malachi 1. The passage in Malachi 2 completes God's oracle to the priests with a more personal threat. Insulting the name of God through disobedience and arrogance is to slight God himself. If the priests continue to do as they have done, God will humiliate them in the eyes of the people. Now listen to this portion of Malachi 2. And this is beginning in verse one through verse nine. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips." He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now, there is not a direct parallel between the priests in Malachi 2, clearly, and the pastors and ministry leaders and denominational leaders of today. But I think the message is very clear for us, isn't it? If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to God's name, then God with the priests sent the curse upon them and cursed their blessings. This is so simple and we forget it. We forget it. We've become a church so caught up in doctrine and correct doctrine, which is important and vital, that we have forgotten the Lord himself, I think. I think that's part of the problem. There is no end of the prognosticating and the lecturing and the, you know, the, the finger wagging from a lot of these groups like the Gospel Coalition and the T4G groups and the ERLC and some of these types. And nothing wrong with talking about theology, but, you know, I wonder if it just becomes wearying to the Lord. Where's your love for me? Where's your submission to me? Where's your obedience to me? Don't you see what you're doing? You're dishonoring me. When you're having an interfaith dialogue and you're acting like an Islamist is over you, you are dishonoring me. I can't imagine that that's not what the Lord's response would be. I'm not trying to put words in the mouth of God, clearly, but just read the word of God and see what he said to Israel when they forsook him and they didn't obey him. There were big consequences. And it gets me thinking that maybe a lot of the consequences that we're seeing today, some of the collapse within these churches, is a direct result of having wandered away from the Lord our God, regardless of how much theology we know. It's about knowing the Lord and obeying the Lord. 
That is key. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. And I'll tell you what, we know that James 3 says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Very sobering. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your denominational leaders. We, we need men who will lead us in a biblical, godly way with integrity and with the fruits of the Spirit and with a humble, submissive heart before the Lord. This is what we need desperately in the church today. And this is what I'm praying for. And I hope you'll join me. We've got to leave it there, but we thank you for being with us today. And we hope you will listen again tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here and take care.